You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough. We are on a journey to find the information that's going to help you play the best golf of your life. Join us now as we dive in. Welcome to the Golf Under Par Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy McCullough, with a very special guest, myself. All right, guys. So I wanted to get on here and talk to you a little bit about pain. Okay, pain is an issue in our society. We have a opioid pandemic, not pandemic. I think I get used to saying pandemic with the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, opioid crisis, and that is due to the doubling of chronic pain over the last 15 years. Okay, chronic pain is listed or labeled as anything over three to six months, depending on where you are in the world or what you're considering to be chronic, okay? But typically anything after six months is, is considered chronic, but it could be as early as three months, right? And why that comes from is usually the healing process for a majority of the body is going to happen in that three months. So any pain that lingers after the healing process has already taken place would be classified as chronic. So that is why we have this issue. And so I wanted to get on here and talk to you guys a little bit about this for a number of reasons, okay? The main reason being that we have an issue and that we have to have a change not only to our behaviors but to our beliefs maybe our fears our understanding of what pain really is most people consider pain as a mechanical thing there must be something wrong with a tissue we got a tear in the rotator cuff or a tear in the labrum or in the meniscus or something along those lines, a broken bone. Most people consider those to be something that causes pain. And so people that walk into my clinic on a regular basis and talk to me, they want to know what's wrong with my body. There must be something wrong, arthritis or you know something wrong, and that's what's causing their pain. Well, I'm here to tell you that pain is a multifaceted experience, all right? It's an experience that we have. Pain is very real, and everybody experiences it differently. It's important for all of us to understand that pain and our thoughts are connected. So let's start with this. The body doesn't have pain sensors. It has what's called nociception. Nociception is basically potential danger or something that's threatening. That threat signal is then sent to the brain, and the brain then perceives whether that is painful or not. So the nervous system works like an alarm system. An alarm system in your house or your car is basically meant to tell you if somebody's breaking down the door or busting in the window trying to steal your stuff or hurt you. So 
our nervous system working in that fashion is a good thing. It keeps us alive, keeps us from getting seriously injured. You step on a nail, you want to know about it, right? And so going along with that, that idea, stepping on a nail, if we step on a nail, we would expect when we pull the nail out, we get the issue addressed. So that means bandaging it up, cleaning out the wound, getting a tetanus shot, uh, stitches, whatever is required. We anticipate that th- that signal that we have coming from our foot that's saying that's painful or potentially dangerous, right? So it's potentially dangerous to us. And that would be if we were to leave it in there. We take care of that. We would expect that signal to start to die down. That's a normal response of the nervous system. It's a great way because it keeps us alive and it doesn't keep telling us that that is potentially painful when we walk or potentially dangerous when we walk. Over the next few weeks after stepping on a nail, you would anticipate that this walking would get, you start off walking a little gingerly, but then it would get better as time would go on. For whatever reason, one in five times, that signal doesn't die back down. That alarm system stays heightened. So anytime you put weight on that foot, you get a, you get a potential danger signal sent to the brain. Okay, that's like the alarm system going off every time that a leaf blows by it. That would drive anybody up the wall. We don't need to know if there's a leaf blowing outside my window in my house. I need to know if somebody's breaking down the window. So if one in five times that alarm system doesn't die down, we can see where some people would have this fear of stepping or walking, putting weight through that foot. and so. That fear now has generated a stimulus of potential pain. And that can show us how thoughts can be connected with what we consider as pain or nociception, right? Example that I've heard is if a lion is in the room, how would you respond? You would be on edge all the time. And if you're always on edge and you're you're worried about this and that, that lion's going to attack, it's going to get me, well, then your system, your, your alarm system is heightened, right? So maybe you're predisposing yourself to having this chronic issue or having this pain. What is that lion in the room? What is that bear there thinking that's going to maul you? That's keeping you in the fight or flight. And that's where the multifaceted, experience comes in about pain right we can't just say it's a biomechanical issue we can't just say it's a tissue issue or a bone issue right other things play into effect stress what can cause us stress well there's a lot of different things that can cause us stress work family money other things that can can affect our response, maybe diet, smoking, alcohol, these different things affect how our body handles a situation or heals from a situation, how we manage stress. And so we have to take into effect some of these other factors. One that I hadn't mentioned, sleep, right? Something I deal with a lot of times when somebody comes in and they've recently had a surgery and they tell me 
oh, it's been hurting so much, I haven't been sleeping. Well, sleep is a huge component to helping our system heal, helping our system calm down, right? If we're not getting sleep, we're not essentially removing some of the cortisol in our system. And so that cortisol is a stress hormone and that stays heightened, elevated in our bloodstream. And if that's staying elevated, then you're keeping that stress, your body still is feeling that stress and it's not getting relaxation or, or, or reprocessing normal. It's not getting back to its baseline. And so I usually use a glass of water and normally we want the system to be able to fluctuate up and down. If it's too high, it's going to overflow, right? And that's going to cause problems. If it's too low, then we're not able to use the water. We can't quench our thirst without it. So we have to find this balance, all right, which is our homeostasis. That's our body's natural state, the state that it's always trying to get back to, 98.6. And, you know, that's our, that's our homeostasis point. That's our normal temperature of our body. Our body wants to maintain that, okay? It wants to maintain the moderate level of hormones, of activity and, and tension in the muscle and wants to maintain all these things at, a, at an even level. It doesn't want to swing the pendulum too far one way or the other because when it's swung one way, just like in most things, if we go just to one side and we, we, we give ourselves all this strength, for example, and not enough flexibility, well, then we can't use that strength because we can't move into positions in order to use that strength, right? So we need this nice little balance. I'm not even sure where I'm going with this at that point, but back to pain. So we have a chronic pain issue, but the nice thing is, is to understand pain doesn't just apply to those that are in chronic pain. It applies to people that are in acute pain or pain that's been going on less than three months or less than a couple of hours or weeks. We can understand that the signal that the nervous system gives us, that potential threat, that potential danger is traveling to the brain, and the brain is processing it according to our experiences, our past experiences. So if the person next to you pinches you or stabs you with a pen, you're technically getting the exact same signal from the nervous system to the brain. And the brain's going to say, hey, this guy uh, is either trying to, to flirt with you or this guy is trying to kill you, right? That's going to be based upon your experiences on what, what your nervous system and your brain are, are information that it's getting. And some of that response can change according to whether or not your brain is in a... a more optimal state or in that neutral state, right? We just talked about the, the levels and if it's heightened because of stress or whatnot and or not, not awake enough or something along those lines, you'll have a different response than if you are in that even keel kind of uh, mode. So we have that play into, let's take an example of when you're hungry, get some food and you eat it, how good does that taste? It almost doesn't even matter what it is. But if you are full, 
It could be the yummiest piece of cake or cookie that you've ever had. But when you're full and you go to eat it, it doesn't doesn't feel good. You have a different response according to when when what state we are in. Right? And so we can see that there's a different response according to our surroundings and our experiences and where we are at each moment. Alright, so better help us understand this. A few points of research that I've come across over the years or so that I've kind of dived into this this topic. What's important for us to understand and from the research is that I can pull 10 people off the street, stick them in, in x-rays, MRIs, ultrasounds, whatever kind of imaging that is the most appropriate to find the so-called issues or deformities in quotation marks. We'll stick those 10 people that don't have any pain into into the imaging of choice to find these deformities. And 7 out of 10 of those people will come out with something. That's 7 out of 10 people have some deformity, but they don't have any pain. So it tells us that we can live with deformities. We can not have pain due to the deformities. Okay? And you go, okay, if these are deformities that supposedly affect how we move or what we feel, then you would expect to have pain. But again, it shows you that the anatomical or biomechanical is not the only factor that produces pain. Okay? So it also maybe shows us that we don't have as good of an understanding of what is a painful thing in the body or a painful structure in the body, right? Maybe certain tissues don't generate pain, but it's something else that causes the pain when we normally think that those are have some kind of deformity. A story I, I've heard of a man who went to the doctor because he had a headache. He got an x-ray, and the doctor came back in and said, well, I found out what's causing your headache. You have a nail inside your head. And the guy then responded, now you mention it. I was messing with the nail gun. He worked in the construction industry and was messing with the nail gun one day, and it went off. And so it must have gone off while I was looking at it. Didn't feel anything at that time, so I didn't think anything of it. Most of you are probably going, how in the world does this guy get shot with a nail gun in the head and not feel it, right? But we have no idea what's going on with this guy in that time. Is his boss hounding him? Hey, we got to get this project done because of such and such. Hey, you, is he having you know, marital problems? Or uh, is his kid in the hospital? Or financial issues? Does he need this money in order to... Uh, Pay for, pay for medical bills, who knows, right? We don't know what he's going through and what's most important, right? So the brain then gets this signal saying, oh, there's potential threat there in the skull, and because of all the other things that are going on, it says, not worried about this, we're going to stop that right there where it is, not worry about it because it's more important that we get the money in order to pay for such and such, or it's more important that 
we continue to focus on uh, keeping the boss happy or the wife happy or whatever it may be that that has him him stressed or worried about it. Another example is I've heard a story of a lady who got her paycheck in a gas station. I believe this occurred in New Jersey area, and she was walking home with her purse. She gets jumped, and I don't remember the the whole whole end result of the story, but uh, she makes her way. She makes safely gets away from from the thugs that jumped her, and she makes it way home. And whoever she was living with, parents or significant other, said, "What's that in your back?" And she had a knife sticking out of her out of her back, and she never even felt it, never even knew about it. And they took her to the hospital, got it removed, and she never experienced pain from that situation. So you would say there's obvious tissue damage in that story as well. But again, there are other things more important. Maybe the brain center going, hey, let's just get away and away with our lives rather than worrying about what's sticking in our back right now, and we'll deal with that later. A story that I, or analogy that I often use with patients is uh, if you're walking across Main Street of your, your town and you step off the curb and you step into a pothole and twist your ankle, is that going to hurt? If you didn't say yes, I question uh, your your thought process there. But you step off the curb and you roll your ankle. Does that hurt? Obviously, it's going to hurt. But if you then redo that again and you step off the curb, twist your ankle, and you look immediately to your left and see that the trolley bus, the town trolley bus, is about to roll over you, you're gonna you're gonna say, "Get the heck out of the way! Life's more important than my ankle right now." So you make that split session, split second decision, judgment of what's the most important thing, okay? And so the two stories that I just shared to you shows you that there's something more important to these people at the time that they experienced whatever it was that we would normally expect to be painful, but they neither one experienced pain. So we can have those seven out of ten people that we just imaged not having pain but having some kind of defect or deformity. So again, we can live with these deformities, but not have pain. I want to go back to the topic of the sensitive nervous system, right? And the leaf blown by the house and setting off the alarm. Well, as an alarm, we have to have this level of activity and there needs to be a breaking point where that signal is taken. So the nervous system has a low-level activity that is going on at all times. And you can think of that as a glass that's, glass that's quarter filled with water. And we start to pour water into it. Once it gets to three-quarters of water, it sends a signal. And that sends that, that signal, the threat signal, to the brain. Well... You can think of a sensitive nerve as a nerve that is already a half full so that when you start to pour water into it, it more quickly gets to that point of sending the signal. That is a hypersensitive nerve. It's a nerve that is already has increased activity. So we need to do is to 
modulate that, to decrease that sensitivity. And nervous system or nerves, they want a few different things. They want space. They don't want to be cramped. Nobody wants to be locked in a trunk and left in there. You get claustrophobic. You get itchy and tired of not being able to move, right? You, get, you want your space. So nerves like space. So that means we need to have good range of motion, good tension in muscles, because things that can put pressure on a nerve that limit its space and can have happens in a few different ways. One, a tight muscle can push on it. Another one, we can have something from the spine limiting the space between the spine where it comes out of the out of the spinal cord. So if in one of those areas there is a lack of space on the nerve, it may respond with a hypersensitivity. Okay. The other thing is it wants movement. It wants movement for a couple of different reasons. It it doesn't have a contract elasticity part to it. It does not shorten, it does not lengthen. It is one length. I usually usually described as kind of like floss, right? We take a string of floss and we put it between the teeth. You can run it between your teeth back and forth, but it's not going to shorten or lengthen any, any there. It's going to slide back and forth. Your nerve is going to slide in and out of the body, okay? And it does that whenever you move a finger, whenever you move your elbow, your shoulder, your knee, toes, whatever, because nerves, there's 45 miles of nervous, nerves in your body. Again, that's 45 miles a whole lot in your body and each time that you move there's got to be some give and take of that nervous system from the spinal cord to the most extended part of your of your appendage of your body right your fingers or your toes and so that nervous system the nerves are going to slide and glide or floss back and forth as we move movement does another thing for the nervous system it brings one of the other things that it loves which is oxygen. Blood flow carries oxygen. When we move, we bring blood flow to an area. So those three things, space, movement, oxygen, is what your nervous system wants. That's going to help calm it down. It's going to help modulate the symptoms that it's having. It's going to decrease that half cup full of water back down to its normal state, which is a quarter cup full, All right, so that there is more room before it sends the signal to the brain that there is potential danger. That is calming down the alarm system so the leaf that blows by the house doesn't send off a signal, doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night saying, hey, there's something going on, and you walk downstairs, you find nothing going on, so you turn the alarm back off and you go back to bed. Right? That is the understanding that we need to have of the nervous system. So when we understand that these nerves how they, we expect them to respond, then we can start modulating how they work through movement, okay? And that's where the movement component comes in and why, why I wanted to get on here and talk to you guys a little bit about this so that you can understand the importance of, of the nervous system and how it plays into the body and then why you then need to have the mobility and the strengthening in order to maintain the appropriate level of homeostasis in the body, that, that normal level in the body.
So with that movement, we want to come into this thought process of gradually improving that so that your nervous system can start to calm down, right? Just because you understand how a nervous system works doesn't mean the moment that you understand it, it's going to let you raise your arm up above your head when that's been hurting for months or years, right? We have to gradually get to that point, working our way up into that range. So I oftentimes use that hiking in the in the mountains, okay? You're not going to just be at hiking in the mountains, get to the top, want to see the landscape down below you and walk off the edge of the cliff to see it. You're going to walk to the edge, look down below, and then you're going to step on back. You know, you'll get your picture or whatever you want uh, when you're over there, but you're not just going to walk off the edge in order in order to see that landscape. So we're going to do that same concept. We're going to get to the edge of discomfort, touch it, nudge it, feel a little bit of that discomfort in that movement that's aggravating to you, and then back on off. That is reframing the thought process of how that movement feels your body sorry your brain has a map of the body and that map needs to be formatted properly needs to be reset it gets distorted sometimes when we have pain especially pain for an extended period of time that then distorts the map that's on there And so by moving and getting our joints into different positions, we start to reformat how that brain thinks and perceives that body part. If we don't move it, we talk about move it or lose it, right? Well, you kind of lose the concept of what is capable of that joint. So we want to stimulate the nervous system, but we already have a heightened nervous system, so we have to just nudge it, tease it, Right, We step to the edge and step back. We step to the edge and step back. And ideally, that allows that nervous system to calm down, realize that, hey, reaching my arm overhead isn't a danger to me. It is a natural movement. And because it's a natural movement, this shouldn't cause pain. Healing's taken place. We should be able to start to move this arm. Okay? Now, for those that are having acute pain or pain that hasn't gone through the whole healing process, you have to then understand what is appropriate for your condition, your issue at this time, right? But a, a good guideline is use your brain, don't cause pain, right? So we just want to get to that edge and back off and see if that just allows more movement If nothing else, in the acute stages, it brings blood flow to the area. Blood flow has nutrition, and that nutrition allows the healing process to take place. And um, and it increases your tolerance to that. You know, very few instances is movement going to be not the right option, okay? If you break a bone and movement affects how the bone is moving, then yeah. But if that's the, if that is the case, your doctor is going to put you into a cast and to minimize that movement, all right, so that you can then calm that down. So in this instance, we notice that there is an importance of having a medical provider that knows what they're talking about to assist you in this recovery process, right? An MD can prescribe drugs, put you in a cast, 
and do surgery if necessary, right? There's like these different stages that they can take care of. A physical therapist will help tell you what movements are ideal at what stages of that healing process, okay? And those are all ideal, right? We, we need the movement, but we sometimes maybe movement's not the only thing that can be beneficial, right? Maybe we talked about all the other factors that can play into maintaining that heightened level or keeping you in that heightened state of sensitivity, nutrition, sleep, right? Stress. So maybe you need to talk to, uh, have a sleep study. Maybe you need to talk to a nutritionist. Maybe you need to have a talk with a psychologist or a therapist of some sort to, to better manage your, your stress. Uh, you can also get into meditation and, and breathing, those kinds of things to help with that, okay? There are so many things that we can we can be doing to help this process along. It doesn't always have to be one-sided where we're only expecting to have the passive modalities, so things that you take a pill or you put some heat or ice on it, you wrap it, you put a brace on it. Those things are passive. You're not actively trying it involved in your, your healing process and your recovery. If you made it this far, I'm impressed with your with your willingness to stick with this, but I hope this has been helpful for you guys to understand a little bit more about what pain is, what causes pain, where does it come from, right? We talked about the nervous system being an alarm system. We talked about a nervous system being extra sensitive or hypersensitive. And we talked about how to manage that sensitivity and decrease that sensitivity, decrease that perceived threat of movement, okay, so that the brain then does not refer to raising your arm overhead as pain. It does not consider stepping, putting weight on your foot as painful. These are things that we have to be able to do on a regular basis. They're normal activities, and they shouldn't be be considered painful. And it's the starts with that thought process, that kind of understanding of pain and where what it is, where it comes from. There's so much more information on this topic that we'll save that for another day and have another podcast, maybe get a couple of specialists to talk this on there. Most of my information that I, I've learned from has come from uh, some, some pain science experts like Lorimer Mosley and Adrian Lau. So check out some of their stuff if you're interested in more information about this. And if you got any questions, please reach out to me, all right, Jeremy at UpHealthAndPerformance.com, or you can shoot a message to our new email, which is for the podcast. We got GolfUnderParPod at gmail.com. So shoot me an email there. We'll check it out and respond to you, any of your questions or concerns. I'll have that in the show notes below. So. Thank you guys so much for listening. Remember, simple consistency leads to greatness. Have a good one, guys. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've enjoyed this content on the go. If you found it helpful, please share with a friend and leave us a review on iTunes. This allows us to reach more golfers just like you that want to play under par. Do you want to be stronger and healthier? Well, I've got a resource for you, Golf Fitness Tips. It's a free Facebook group where we talk about how to take care of our bodies. 
so that we can play more golf, we can play golf longer in life, and we can play better on the course. If that interests you, then check out the link below or search for Golf Fitness Tips on Facebook.